Turn it. Hey everybody, it's time for Game Changers, and my guest tonight is Zane Carney. I like to applaud for myself too, hey, Vicky. Yes, you have to have self-love. That's so. That's cool. right, baby. How can anybody else love you if you don't love yourself? You gotta love yourself first. You know, I've been getting to know you the last couple of days, Vicky. And and I got wait. I'm I'm sorry. I'm like I'm making an echo because I'm opening up another screen on Facebook so I can read the comments without. We're too excited, is what it is. We love. We're too excited. <laughs> I, I am excited. I'm um, excited. Yeah, I'm so glad. Okay, so we're we're gonna like sit and like bullshit for a couple minutes till people find it. Great. We need them to kind of. They're not used to me starting on time. I yes. do thing, you know, four days a week. Other than this, that I am always late. I am historically mm. late. So that's not good. But you me too. Oh God! Right now, so right now I'm starting my stream, my Twitch stream concurrently, and I forgot to start, and now I'm doing it, and people are gonna pop in the chat in a second. So. Yeah, I'm that guy who says he's gonna start at six, and it's 11:47 p.m. So, so and I sneak in. So here's the thing, you know. So in COVID, I decided to go live every day, mm -hmm. two days a week. I know you do too. I and do a lot. It's crazy, right? And but I was like, okay, this is too much pressure to be like five o'clock on the on the button. So I'm like five twenty yeah. five. They know me. So if I show up at five o'clock, nobody's here yet. They're like, right. Then they're surprised. What is happening? Was this witchcraft? <laughs> um, speaking of which, I'm just double checking to make sure my stream's going too, because you know your people oh. are coming in. My people will be coming in, and then I think we'll be golden. I just I don't know if I'm streaming to the correct channel. I turn my notification off. I need a I need a geek in my house twenty four seven. Yeah. Man, IT people must be making a crushing right now. Right. You know, um, although they can't travel to us, so that sucks. <laughs> I think I'm live. Looks like um, I'm live. I, I want to talk to you about Twitch. You know, I didn't. I purposefully did not put your Twitch link. I put your other links. Yep. In the in the Facebook thing, but I don't know if you know. I, I think I told you they took down all my shows because if they had yeah. a link, cloud. So Sucks. I'm thinking we're going to do the same thing with Twitch. So I was right. afraid to put your Twitch link in, but we'll talk about Twitch and how they can find you. Amazing. And, um, but I, I I I think first you get your your stuff set up and yep, I'll do it right now. Say hi to everybody while you're setting your thing up. Amazing. Hi Karen. Hi Anne. Hi Ken. Hi Rob. Hi Suzanne. Um, hey everybody. Hello everyone. Um, um, I can't, it doesn't show me anymore. It only shows me a few people. It, I have to guess at the rest. They, you guys have to comment so I'll know you're there. Um, and I don't usually go over to, to ooh, Rick Smoke. Uh, Rick, is, do you have angels of your art that have just been guardian angels over your work through your career? Uh, me personally? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking to Rick. Yes, I totally have. Yeah, I mean, I've had uh, my probably the first person, oops, like that would have been Morton Lordson, who okay. uh, I'll bring this back for performing. Oh, whoops, that's gonna break. Oh, that's oh, one second. Something's breaking. Oh, we're already breaking something. Oh, no wreck the place. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, what is happening? Okay, something. Something maybe permanently damaged. Cool. Uh, yes, I um, my first um, my first uh, uh, inspiration and mentor was a man named Morton Lordson, okay. and uh, he taught the uh, music theory program at. He was the head of the music theory program at USC when I was there, and uh, yeah, he really guided me quite a bit. And um, then it turned into 
I mean, Snuffy's always been so sweet. I love Snuffy. Yeah. Um, who else? I mean, I met George Deering, the the famed yeah. guitar, you know? So mm-hmm. he and I talked. And But as far as true mentorship, I mean, honestly, I... I'm not asking you about mentorship this okay. time. This is a question about have there been angels that have sort of opened doors, just always supported you, um, always in your corner? My mom. That's she's honestly, my mom's an incredible artist and she's always said, you're going to be the best guitar player ever lived and all these amazing things. Um, you know, yeah, Johnny, think- Johnny Lang has okay. always been in my corner. Uh, yeah, man. I, I don't know. I have too many. I'm spoiled. I think I'm really spoiled. But I, you know, going back to your mom, who was the first one that you mentioned, I have a feeling yep. that that had a, has a lot to do with the quality of your talent, your success, your mm-hmm confidence um because a lot of us don't come from that right criticism right so right your mother was so supportive and said you were the best do you think that that gave you a good start i do i mean it's funny i hear people say oh you know my I don't know. I do therapy personally. And people who go to therapy say, Oh, my mom was too effusive. Cause I couldn't live up to her expectations of me and all that. But, uh, so far it's, I've been so lucky to have someone who thinks I'm good at music and continually tells me so even when I'm terrible. Yeah. Uh, so I'm yeah. very lucky. Yeah. I do think it was a huge part of me getting started as an artist. Um, I didn't always have that. I had a bunch of people say I was not very good as a singer until, recently when I accidentally quote unquote started quote unquote proving them wrong. All I did was obsessively try to work on my singing for eight years. And then now they think I'm okay, but they used to think I was terrible. So I've definitely had both. I've had people not in my corner, um, but I've never really listened to those people because I'm, you'd say, but also because I'm so stubborn. You're not arrogant at all. I'm getting notifications and my notifications are turned off. I fucking hate technology. Anyway. Yeah, it's the worst. It's the worst. Um, well, but can you tell us, because we're going to go to all the success and we're going to go to all the good things. Yeah. But this, this is something that humanizes you. Can you tell us something you didn't get or somebody that didn't believe it? Like, who was telling you you didn't have a good voice? Where did that come from? Oh, man, I wonder if I'm allowed to say names. All I'll say is throughout okay. my career, I've had a few different managers. Okay. And it's never really been... Uh, I mean, it's, it sounds better than I'm than I'm making it. It sounds it's worse than I'm making it sound. Most people are like, oh, "I'm just a Bieber. I got this big manager." For me, I snuck into having a manager through my band Carney with my brother, and then I I had some other relationships with people who were curious with building my solo career. Uh, anyway, along that journey, I had a manager who I uh, who I played for, and I said, "I think I think I'm ready to branch out of being a hired gun guitar player and and lead guitarist and into." being a front man. All right, well, why don't you sing for me? So I said, well, the vision right now, this is a long time ago. The vision right now is sort of Chet Baker sings. I don't know. I mean, I love jazz and I like singing and check this out. So I played my romance and I sang it and finished. Ooh. And uh, at the end he said, cool, 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 cool. Y- your brother's the singer of the family. You're not. And I went, oh, oh. oh. Like, stick the guitar. And so anyway, you know, here we are years later. And I, I think that was a, uh, it wasn't, he wasn't wrong at the time necessarily. It really wasn't. Um, but I thankfully used that to not shut down. I used that to say, well, I'll practice more and then uh, I'll probably be better. I, 
So I don't know. I mean, I worked really hard after that. I didn't, I didn't just keep doing what I was doing. I took more voice lessons. I practiced along with Katie Lang and Jeff Buckley and Steven Tyler and Freddie Mercury. And, oh. and I, and I worked on it. And now I think people consider me a singer. So I certainly consider myself a singer. I consider you a singer. You're a yeah. damn singer. Thanks. So, so Wayne, All right. I, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to come back. I, I'm going to come, we're going to come back around to how you got through your career. What I really want to oh. start with, because we're, um, me and my people are known as the COVID crazies. I, and, yes. and this is kind of a starting place because it's where we are now. And I always mm. like to begin with where we are now. And yes. so you've really, you have, you are high productivity in the middle of this pandemic. But with that, so when this started, I'm imagining you had workbook. You had gigs booked, right? So what were you about to do when the pandemic hit? So bad. A few things. Golly. So I was was cast as Claude in Hair the Musical. And yeah, we were going to be doing it at the LGBT Center uh, down in Hollywood. So long story short. There for years. You got to come. Hey, when we open, we're still set to open because the entire set was built. It's built. It's ready for us. Yeah, it's ready. Um, so, you know, where do I go? When was your opening supposed to be? Opening was supposed to be March 26th. So we missed it by about three. <laughs> so I've learned the whole show. I'm ready. I saw the original on Broadway. That's how old oh. I am. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> my godmother was in the – she did two productions of hair, one that was on Broadway and one that traveled. And um, – she, yeah, I, I talked to her about the audition and she helped me prepare for it and probably is a big reason I got it. Claude, um, you're Claude? You're Claude? No, no, uh, my, my godmother, her name's Eva Charney. Yeah, one of the- You, what what part? Claude, yep. Claude, that's what I say, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I was set to play Claude and my hair was a little shorter because, you know, before quarantine, now it's kind of kind of that. Um, I look like an actor before. So the, the, the long story short is I was, I've been, I mean, people, as they come into this chat and we talk, um, my career has been mainly music based, but I started, um, as a, as an actor on a sitcom and in, and in some feature films. Yeah. So I basically kept trying to get away from music. I love for my life force. I love it, but I was trying to get away from it because I wanted to explore acting and I kept getting offers for tours and, and session work. And I kept choosing music over acting right before pandemic hit. I went, you know what? I'm going all in with acting. So I turned down a bunch of work. I stopped going on tour with Johnny Lang, who I love and adore. I uh, took UCB classes. I took classes with Howard Fine acting studio in LA. I did as many auditions as my agents would send me on. And then after about six to eight auditions, I finally landed a role, which was Claude. We almost opened, shut down, and uh, one day we'll open soon. I don't know. Okay, so I just read. This is very disheartening. Um, hmm. Snuffy, I sent it to him earlier. I just read a few hours ago that the Met in New York has decided the opera that they are making. They've made the decision today. They're not opening for a year, and they said, "How is this going to impact rock venues, clubs?" Oh. You know? And so they're basically setting the precedent for Broadway shows for all of this. They're saying we're done for a year. We're not even going to try. Well, and I've been talking to a bunch of friends who work on Broadway who th- were hoping for April 2021. And most of my friends are going, yeah, right. October at the earliest. Yeah. And I'm going, well, th- now the, 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 I, it's very 
selfish, but but to quickly talk about that hair thing, the good news, quote unquote, is that it's a black box theater production. So okay. they basically got this all-star creative team, ovation award winning, Broadway people, like all this, this incredible creative team. Uh-huh. And that brought in a lot. The cast is so loaded. It's so talented. So it brought in people that wouldn't normally do a black box theater production, but we're really going for something specific. So long story short, it's only 50 people that can fit in this auditorium that we're playing in. It's it's a it's going to be like not experimental theater, but it's going to be hair as hair was I think oh. written. Uh, so hair, a lot of touching, a lot of like how are we going to do that? So we're trying to figure out. I mean, technically, it's only fifty people viewing it, but there are twelve yeah. cast members and yeah, but that now work? that a black box theater that only holds fifty, you're only going to be able to put ten in there, right? Right. right. It's kind of it, when they do let people go inside, right. Um, I took my kids to see the last ver- the last rendition at uh, Shakespeare in the Park. We we did that, mm. uh, and the open air and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, not as good as the original by by a long shot. Right. <laughs> but I would love to see yours. But oh. so, what I love about this scene is that for me, that combines all of your talent because you get to be mm-hmm. an actor. You get to be. You are a musician. You're singing. You know, it's about music. It's about theater. It's about your spiritual experience it's all of those things right right so, i love that i love that i love that too and i i think uh yeah, the most exciting part for me and why i was so devastated when we had to pause is because i hadn't acted professionally in i don't even 22 years i don't know what it was you know truly getting paid to do an acting job versus yeah. doing stuff with friends and uh I, yeah i was really excited about my agents coming and being like what i thought you were just a musician who limelights as an actor my response to my agents was i'm an actor who limelights as a musician but no one would know that because i've never done it as an adult but acting is really i mean to be honest when i'm playing jazz guitar i'm using probably 80 percent of the tools i'm using are acting tools i'm just translating them to the notes of the instrument but oh. i'm listening i'm responding i'm a, i'm willing to make this moment true no matter how awkward it feels these are acting tools uh i just you know do it with a c-sharp dominant seven sharp 11 versus a line <laughs> so i was really excited about about getting in there and hopefully that turning into a, a, a new burgeoning career. Cause I've explored almost everything I've wanted to musically the past 20 years. So I was like, Oh man, I want a new exciting venture. But then the COVID thing hits and I'm like, well, thank God I have a working studio and Mike's blue by blue. <laughs> Kevin Walt, what's up, baby? Kevin Walt, we love you. We love you, Kevin. We love, we love everyone at blue. Um, so I had all these mics, I have all this audio gear. So I'm going, all right, I don't know that I want to do a whole monologue series. I, I let's get back into music. So, I mean, just what a wild year it's been for everyone. I'm I'm so lucky that I'm able to stay creative right now. By the way, Rick Smokey, who is my angel, Rick Rick is a printer in in Chicago, and he got a hold of this thing that I've been doing for twelve years in my living room. This women who write things salon that I've been trying mm. to get you to do. And he just started supporting me in every way that he could think of, sending me swag and stuff because he believed mm-hmm. in. He just said, "You're not spoiled, you Zane. You're blessed." And that's there you go. He said, "Why people are, are angels for you in your life?" Mm-hmm. Um, we've got, we've got, you know, um, I, we've got a few people here, but I think we'll get a lot more if we get you to play. So I'm thinking yes. this is a really good time to do that. Great. And everybody into conversation with some of your 
music, which is, I've been listening to you round the clock for the last 48 hours. And I got to say, uh, you know, uh, um, well, we'll talk about all the things. You're the best, Vicki. No. I'm going to fix this mic real quick. I'm so sorry. I fell yeah. off. I'm going to say hi to everybody. So hi, Sharon. Who else joined us? Hi, Christina. Oh, she said, great conversation. Nice. Hi, Maria. How are you? Um, he's calling you Mr. Carney. And speaking of which, we have to talk about your grandfather for a minute. Oh, that's, yeah. That's great uncle. Know. Yes. <laughs> I actually looked it up to make sure that you had him in your life for a good amount of years before he passed. Yes. You were like 16, right? So I'm 16, guys. I'm a young snapper. <laughs> no, I didn't mean, when when Art passed, oh, I was sixty. Yes, I, Art, so Art was my great uncle, my my dad's oh. uncle. Yes. Oh, I have that wrong. Okay. Yes, we were so close. We were. I mean, it was the Carney stick together. I'll tell you that much. Well, and that's you're like I, I know I've heard you say the Partridge family, but I'm actually friends with the Cowsills, and you remind me a lot more of them. Wow. Because they're uh -huh. they are a legit family band, and that's yes. Yeah, oh, you're the best. I'm so sorry this took so long, and this fell right when this thing started because I'm still new with the hi, internet. Hi, Tony. Hi, Paul. I'm saying hi to everybody while we're doing Snapper Whipper instead of I called you a Whipper. Snapper. Oh, I love it. I'll take I'll take both. Um, how do I turn this quickly? Hi, Barbara. Um, if anybody has any questions for Zane, put them up there, and I'll find them eventually. I'm I'm probably not going to stop the conversation to do it. We'll yes. Oh. Music time. Here we go. Music time. Hey. Okay. All right. Oh, boy. Here we go. So it's time for some music. All right. So let's, let's do this. Let's get my this mic in my ear. For those of you out there who don't know, who haven't seen Zane's Twitch, he is like a total techno geek. I mean, you just know all, like his sound and his picture are perfect, which is Aww. not but if you go perfect. You're the sweetest, Vicky. I'm trying. I'm trying to learn this new thing. So there should be reverb now, and I'm gonna I'm gonna sing a song. I'm, I know what we're gonna close with, which shall remain nameless. But uh, did we decide which song you'd like to hear for this? I want you to sing what you what, what's moving you right now. Amazing. Okay, I'm gonna turn this off because I don't see you on here. So I'll pause. So is that great? Okay. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, well, hello, everyone. So, uh, yeah, I think the song I'm feeling right now is uh, this song uh, feels like uh, this day and age. It's an original. It's called I Want to Have Faith Again. I love that song. Close my eyes to pray. I can't find the words to say. I'm speechless, questioning, delight, and wondering why. Am I so blind? Depends on what I've left undone, or have heard or said or won. The pressure that fills my room and molds me while I sleep. Killing me Oh, I'm on my knees And yet I want to have faith again I want to have faith When I can't see the plan I want to have faith again I want to 
have faith, but I'll go inside my head, speaking for the living dead. Distraction, enough dissatisfaction to deny. Rolling my eyes, I'll leave a question mark. So what? That when laid upon his side, it hooks me. It scratches, beats, and proves me that I'm not. And meaningless. Is this the truth, or am I choosing it? I wanna have faith again. I wanna have faith when I can feel the pain. I wanna have faith again. I wanna have faith, but if I like it, being in control. Cause I hear we've been here to hold. Cause if there's nothing, where do I go? If my destiny is purely chemistry, then why? Why do I want? You know what's so funny? One of the emotes on my Twitch channel, and I'll turn off my reverb, is a Zane Carney logo emote. Stop. So I'm not kidding. During this whole thing, everyone's been putting up their lighter emotes during my stream on Twitch. <laughs> I, I love it. So Tony Vincent just asked, um, what inspired the song? I, I heard it yesterday for the first time. Oh, my God. What a beautiful yeah. song. Yeah. 
Thank you. Yes, Satan, my lord. No, I'm totally joking. Just, just Satan. I'm totally kidding. Guys, not Satanist. No, uh, you know, I've had a long journey in my life of uh, whether it was growing up Episcopalian or having probably 60% of my friends in New York and LA were, were Jewish. So I do Passovers and Rosh Hashanah and different seders with them to traveling as a musician and speaking to people about Hindi things and about different belief systems. So there've been a lot of uh, perspectives I've been lucky to experience. I myself was, uh, I had a journey from age, what was it? 19. Yeah. Really 19 to about 24 where I was pretty hardcore, not uh, uh, politically, but religiously Christian. Like I was all about reading the Bible every day and I was going to church on Wednesdays and playing in a church band. And, hey, stop, and, stop. Yeah. You have to tell me what this was. Like, yeah. did you have a spiritual awakening? I mean, because I heard you talk about this earlier today. Did, yeah. you, did something happen to, did you bottom out? Did something wonderful, did something spiritual happen? What no. In the moment, it felt as though nothing unique had happened. It felt like a natural evolution. But I think when I look back on it, the retrospective, um, yeah, it seems probably pretty clear that the way I was raised and the the way my parents explored life, I uh, I don't know. Long story short, I think that time in my life was an attempt to connect with both my parents in unique ways. My mom being evangelical or um, Episcopalian, and my dad, as of I think seventeen years old, being pretty evangelical. So I was wow. thinking, how can I negotiate a divorced family and connect with both of them? And oh, Christian, oh, I'll be evangelical and I'll kind of, my mom, I'll connect with her. And, and I also have always been deeply curious about uh, continually asking the question, why? You know, oh, the Big Bang. Why did the Big Bang? Oh, we don't know. Well, once we know that, I'm still going to be asking why. why. Why that? So I like figuring out how things work. Um, that's you fun for me. Were brilliant in school? Did you like do great? Were you like a great? You were a great student. I was obsessive about. It's so funny. I mean, I I have this long hair, which is now pandemic-y, so even longer, and I wear suspenders. Well, you can't see them, but they're under there, uh, and and all that jazz. Uh, so I think people peg me as someone who probably didn't care about school and was too busy being cool and playing guitar. But I, I, if I'm gonna do something, I want to do it as close to the quote unquote right way as possible. And if there is no right way, I want to create a better way. So, um, yeah, I'm really interested in, in science. I'm really interested in magic. I'm interested in mathematics. So yeah, I, I think I dressed the part of a college and high school dropout, but in reality, I graduated eighth in my class out of 565 students. <laughs> this is no surprise to me at all. I was just the nerdiest. And John Epcar and I took uh, we went to summer school together. <laughs> That was one of the best summers of my life, man. I love the F cars. I love them so much. Okay, so we have to talk about that for one second. I got to give a shout out to Richard. So, mm-hmm. John F car from Carney, uh, and you did uh, Spider Man together, and you've done mm-hmm. many things together. His yep. father, Richard F car, was my boyfriend in college, which oh, is wow. crazy stuff right there. Which is what brought me to you because I went to see Spider Man. Yep. Okay, so I was supposed to be going opening week. It ended up that was. <laughs> That was like the 11th preview of what became like, right. how many previews did you get? 183, I think, was the record yeah. that we we shattered the record. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you guys, and, and, and I've told you this, and it's really the truth. I don't often pay attention to the band when I go to a Broadway show. I'm focused. I'm, I'm an, an old actor. I'm focused on the actor, on the action yep. on the stage and everything. And I love sure. 
Bono and the Edge did the music. So the music is special to begin with. But I have to say, you two were, um, I missed half the action because I was really paying attention. I mean, you guys were blowing me away. It was blowing Aww. me away. Well, you saw a very special show, Biggie. So I think you saw you saw version one of the show. So we had Spider-Man 1.0 and then Spider-Man 2.0. What was the difference? So the difference was, so Julie Taymor directed and wrote version 1.0 with Bono and Edge and, and all oh. that. And uh, Disney Marvel came in, you know, Stan Lee was there to watch some previews and oh. long story short, at our 150th preview, it became clear that we probably were not going to open anytime soon. So they changed the show and they, it's, it was awful because yeah, they got rid of Julie from directing. They got a different director. Yeah, and this is all public knowledge. I'm not saying anything that's not. I don't know this about the show. This is crazy. And it was devastating for me personally because Julie is a legitimate straight up genius. Not that Philip McKinley, who directed the second version, is not a genius, but Julie's just, she's a straight up visionary. And it was an honor and, and, it's true honor of my life to work with someone as brilliant as she is. So, um, yeah. The Lion King on Broadway, I assume. Exactly. Yeah, sorry. Ju Julie Taymor directed Lion King on Broadway. She's done many incredible versions of Shakespeare on film, like the best Shakespeare's I've ever seen she's done. Um, so, anyway, she's just – she's she's a genius. And anywho, so we changed the show. And then on, in version 2.0, which we did about three years of before we closed, I was in the pit. So Aiden and I, which were on stage, we ended up being back in the pit for version two. Oh, so what you yeah. saw was really special. Yes, because I was watching you. I got to watch you. Oh, so oh. And, and you might not know this because you saw, you know, one of the first 30 or 40 previews. We were changing things literally every day and I would get a piece of music. That day, I mean, I'm talking, you know, handwritten because all of us had to obviously read music. And it would say, uh, you know, measures four through 10 are now in the key of G major. Measures five through seven are tacit, whatever. And then, as you notice, we didn't read music on stage. So we had to memorize those changes before each preview. Wow. It was so stressful. I made a couple of really hilarious mistakes, though, really bad mistakes, because they kept changing keys. One song, they brought a tritone away, which is the farthest you can get from any note. So there's oh. like... There's this note, and then there's this note, and those are an octave. They are the same note, but they are up an octave. So the farthest distance between those two is halfway, which is bum, ba, bum, ba. So they brought that as far as you can get from the note. They're like, you know what? We're going to do that theme in E major today, not B flat. So I, I'm like memorizing all these changes. So I played it in B flat to end act uh, one. And so the end of the act was supposed to go like, uh, like, um, uh, let's see. Oh, whoops. It's supposed to be. But the rest of the band played. So it sounded like. Uh, uh, let's see. It sounded like. It was just a nightmare. And I went. Oh. And I went downstairs and Julie said, what the heck was that? I'm like, ah, that was me. I am so, you guys keep changing keys. <laughs> like yesterday that was in B flat. I'm sorry. Wow. So, there were some big mistakes I made. Change things. The, if you're not got the music in front of you and you have to recall. And they, they, To be fair, they said, you can have a music stand, just like maybe keep it off to the side. But I was like, if I'm doing this, let's do it right. But unfortunately that it looked better for you guys for all those previews, but yeah. it did turn into a couple of, pretty big gaffes on my part so whoopsie daisy i i, I trust that with spider-man flying through the air nobody kind of noticed what was going on I, we right. were we were in the front row 
I always like to sit front uh, first three rows orchestra, but we were in the front sure. row purposefully upstairs so that because he flew right. Ooh. Okay, so your brother wasn't your brother had some days off. He didn't do every performance. He didn't right. do eight shows. So we happened to see um, Michael James Thomas. Yes, Matthew James Thomas, who's amazing. I was so crushed that we weren't scenery. Yeah. I and know. Then, then I saw Michael James Thomas, and I have to say, I saw him two years later in Pippin. He is a amazing. Genius. He is a genius. Um, oh, his Did morning glow. Pippin. Oh With yeah. Pippin? Okay, so 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 we met. So Matthew and Reeve were cast together. It was like Matthew. We know he's going to do two shows a week. Reeve's going to do six shows a week. It wasn't like he came and as an understudy. It was you're amazing. Are you willing to do this? And he figured, well, I can work more on my music. I can be paid to be on a Broadway show. Like we're good. I love Matthew's. I love his songs, his original songs. I saw Pippin on his final show at Pippin, his last show. It was very emotional. And Pippin's my favorite musical. Yeah. And that's so I saw it for so many reasons. And when he hit those notes on Morning Glow, I was like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Matthew, you're, you're a freaking genius. I three times. I, we were sitting in the front row. I was right behind the the, the pianist. The yeah. And he was just, he was an angel. Was Incredible. Amazing. No wonder they won all those awards. Didn't they win Best Broadway Revival? It was, it was, it, it's in my top three shows of all time. It was yeah, and I think that revival won the Tony Award for Best Revival. It just, it was, there's this, for people who aren't music theater fans in the show, in the chat, there's, um, there's this song called uh, Morning Glow and there's this high note in it that unless you really have training, you can hit. And I, for me, it's like. Of the song? What? I know, well, I know, I know, I know, I don't know what key he does in it, but it's, um, morning glow, no, it's lower, um, I think it's morning glow all day long, while we sing our new day song, uh, we'll, uh, da, 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 at the birth of all things looking new, morning glow is long past due, but eventually it goes this thing, um, uh, I'd like to help you grow up. We should have started long ago. There's some high note. I don't know what key it's in that he just long ago. So, and he just perfectly nailed it with the best tone, the best technique. I was like, dude, I need some more voice lessons because you're a genius. Okay. So who's, who did you study voice with that gave you the, the confidence to go put yourself out there as a singer? Great question. Can I start that story just like one minute of yeah. storytelling before? Okay. So, so the story begins when I'm 12 years old and I had started playing guitar mm -hmm. and my brother was the star of the family. I, I had, we were all three of us kids, Reeve, myself and Paris. We've all had different uh, moments trading the spotlight, which is classic of multiple children households. So yeah. Paris, you know, wrote a song for Adam Lambert. That was his lead off single on his last record. She's been writing for everyone right now. She's crushing it. So Paris is having this starlight moment while Reeve and I are in quarantine going, eh, what do we do? So she's just crushing it. Um, Reeve has had the past eight years of whether it's Spider-Man, Penny Dreadful, Hades Town. My God, he's had an amazing run. I had my run of being uh, uh, one of the stars of CBS's Dave's World. Then I did John Mayer. So we've all had our moments of like kind of getting really lucky. Uh, when I was 12, it was Reeve's moment. I think Paris and I would both agree on that. Reeve was playing guitar at blues clubs as a 14-year-old kid. Oh. It was Johnny Lang. It was Joe Bonamassa. It was Reeve Carney. I mean, he was up and coming in the blues scene. Oh. I couldn't pay him enough money to let me play in his band. Like He was cool. I was not. I was too young. 
<laughs> so what I did is I went to these jam sessions and I would try to get on stage as a 12 year old kid. I'd go on when no one was in the audience. I'd eat doo-doo. I'd play terribly. I'd get a pat on the shoulder from the old guys. I'd like, hey, better, better luck next time. It's cool that you're even coming. Good luck, you know? And uh, I found that people probably didn't want to play with me because I was terrible. So I ended up uh, singing songs. I'm thinking there's a lot of modesty here. There's some modesty, but I wasn't like, my my saving grace in life has been that I always assume that I'm wrong and that I could learn something. So people think that I'm smart or something, but I'm not. I just assume, oh, I can learn something here. So I really think I was bad then, but I had the mentality of just tell me how to get better versus... I'm angry at you guys for being mean. I'm like, whatever, I sucked. How do I get good? So every time I'd come, like, can I, how do I play that scale? Okay, what did I do wrong? You, well, you had stopped the song. You didn't focus on on the drummer. Okay, okay, I'll do that now. So that's what I do. Got it. So anywho, I started singing. And I would lose my voice every time I'd sing at these jam sessions. I'd sing uh, Stormy Monday. I'd sing Messing with the Kid, which is a fun song to sing as a 12-year-old. Uh and I uh, would lose my voice. Six years later, my high school's doing vocal jazz competitions. And I went, you know, I want to stretch as a musician. I want to learn how to, how to read vocal charts and sight sing. Mm-hmm. I'll apply to the class. They said, dude, honestly, like you're, you're not the best singer, but like your theory is insane. And we need someone in the tenor section and baritone section who can make sure everyone's singing the right notes. And you're so like you're in. So I would sing in there. I could not hit Vicky. That note was almost impossible. That was too high for me. I had a broken voice. I could barely sing. So then fast forward, I'm in Carney. Reeves writing these harmonies for our band that I had to sing. He's already singing up here. And he wants me to sing above. And I'm like, dude, I can't even hit an octave below that. It's not happening. So this is this is like a 20-year journey of me not being able to sing properly and, and having issues. So I finally go to Valerie Morehouse, who is like the best vocal coach of all time, I guess, because she fixed my voice. So I go to her. And at this time, we do not know that I have uh, a thing called a sulcus. We don't know that. We just know that I can't really sing correctly and I can't hit high notes. What is that? A sulcus is a, a malformation in any part of the body. But when it refers to the vocal fold, it's essentially an indentation um, on the muscle tissue. So instead of my vocal folds going like, like this, uh-huh. they went like this. Oh. There was like a, a gap there. So there, uh-huh. so air was like escaping and I couldn't do falsetto or thin fold work. So she helped me work with my broken voice. Neither of us knew that I had a sulcus. I got scoped, but no doctor discovered it. Oh. Fast forward to 2013, I'm on tour with John Mayer and my voice breaks. And I go to a doctor and he says, listen, I'm going to scope you in Amsterdam, but just so you know, we have the highest resolution cameras ever for the voice in Amsterdam. What you have in America isn't high def enough. So he scopes, he goes like this. He goes, okay, okay, okay. How much money do you pay your voice teacher? I said, a a good amount. He's like, you should be paying her 10 times the amount. In fact, you should buy her a, a nice fancy Ferrari if and when your career takes off. Your voice should be inoperable. I'm like, what? what? He says, whoever's been teaching you to sing has been teaching you how to work around what's called a sulcus, which is called hemorrhaging, caused polyps. You would have had deep scar tissue had you not been singing with perfect technique for this issue. Suzanne, let me explain it to you further. It's like you have a knee that's backwards and you've been running sprints. And I don't know how you haven't injured that knee yet, but you seriously should thank your voice teacher right now. So I wrote her, 
no, it turns out I have a sulcus. She's like, oh, I've only heard of a few of those. That's crazy. I like, how come none of the scopes never showed that? I'm like, I don't know. They weren't high res. I don't know. So immediately I got surgery. Oh, oh my God. So what did, what, what did they do? So they took collagen and injected it into my sulcus, which created an over thing of tissue. And then I had a, a speech pathologist and my vocal teacher, Valerie Morehouse, helping me massage that down to flat. I gained, I gained about two octaves of range, or at least an octave and a half of range. I gained, uh, like my long tones were like eight seconds. Now like I can go like, I can hold the note for like a minute and a half. I mean, I, I gained so much technique. And then oh. I said to the, to all my friends and family, now I can start using the brains that I kind of have to learn. So I just took a, two lessons a week with Valerie and I was on tour with Mayer doing two lessons from the, from the, you know, uh, the hotel rooms. And I was working with my speech pathologist, Dr. Linda Carroll in New York city on speaking correctly. And now I, I haven't lost my voice really in about five years. So what was your downtime? You see, you're trying John, what, what's your downtime when you have, had, it was perfect. We had three months off from, yeah. uh, from tour with mayor. It was, uh, December, 2013 was the surgery. I went mm -hmm. back a week later and played Spider-Man turn off the dark. So it's six, seven days of not talking. And then you're back. Wow. And, well, it was mm -hmm. also Spider-Man. You didn't have to use your voice you're playing guitar. Right. Yeah, so you're, exactly. you're, and then how long did it take you of, of doing the, the, the voice lessons and all of that till you were singing for, I would say three months until I was able to probably a month before I got back to where I was and then three months to start discovering new parts of my instrument. And then, yeah, I just, every day I'm doing some sort of phonation goofing around. So I might walk around the house and do, okay. And then I feel how that feels and I adjust it. Okay, my voice is a little sore today. Let me try a wee. Wee, 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 wee. There you go. Okay, and then I take that vowel shape and modify it with the mm. And so I'm constantly like obsessing about pretty much everything involving technique because I'm a nerd. You know, you 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 put you you're very self-effacing and and very humble. But I I think for me, what sets you apart? You have no ego in your craft. And I think that keep learning and growing because you have a willingness. A lot of artists, if you tell them you can't sing or you can't do it, they'll go, oh, screw you. And I'm, I'm going to go over here and do it. But right. doing that, you will, okay, what can I do to change your willingness to grow and to, to learn is very inspiring. I appreciate um, that. I wish that, that that was across the board, but I certainly have – a typical musician ego. If someone, I'll puff up my chest and be like, ah, get, ah, screw you guys. But I think in, in general, my, my mode of operation normally is how can I improve? And I don't know. I mean, I, I, I remember taking the, these amazing classes with Howard Fine, who's just an acting genius. And, uh, he, he talked in class about the, if I hope I, can I say BS, the BS word? This is uncensored and amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So he just said, you know, the, the most important thing, one of the most important things for an actor or performer is having a bullshit meter. So if you can't tell that what yeah. you're doing is uh, anti the proper technique or is not connecting with the audience, like I can't help you there. But if you can t hone in and develop that, then we're talking. And um, mm -hmm. that's something I, I, 
I think I've had a pretty, I, I think I've had a pretty good uh, run of noticing when I'm making a mistake, and I do not allow that to to let me judge myself. You know, so I go, oh, I made a mistake, and now I cool. Now I have data. Now I can fix it. So I'm not the sort of person that goes, oh, my voice cracked. I'm quitting. I go, yeah, it cracked. Why did it crack? Oh, because my vocal folds are sore. I can work with that data. I facts I can work with. So. For me, it's it's almost like my focus is less on trying to stay humble as it is. I'm just really curious about how to solve problems. I don't oh, no, know. There's anything to do with, with an awareness of trying to be anything. I think you just mm. are. You're a very authentic person, and you are just um, very present in your in your craft, in your humanity. I, I, I'm I'm just mm. very impressed with you. I, I, Thank I'm you, Vicky. So, uh, so let's talk. So I'm all over the place, and we were going to talk about COVID for. I don't want to talk about COVID first. I want to. How do you end up on Dave's world at seven years? Like, okay, so yes. you're in this family. Your mother is a talented. Your mother is a singer. Your mother is a singer. She did a few things, yeah. So she went to CCM for uh, musical theater and is a trained singer. She was like a theory nerd when she was a kid, playing violin in orchestras. And then her eventual form as my mother was a jewelry designer. Oh, so wow. she became. Yeah, she did really amazing work, like worldwide recognized work that she still makes now. She's, oh, I love her stuff. What, what, um, kind of, what kind of jewelry? What's her like? Her her brand, it's called Fables. Uh, the website's fablesintheair.com. But mm -hmm. I think she, the way she talks about it, she calls it like whimsical. Sil so it's, it's all sterling silver and they're these whimsical pieces. So She'll make a ring, you know, that you put on your hand. Uh, but instead of it being a standard ring with, you know, fancy gems, it's a cigar band. So your finger turns into a cigar. It's like cute. Like what, who thinks of this stuff? Or instead of a, a typical, I don't know, silver line here of starting silver, it's John Lennon glasses, like just the same shape as John Lennon or broken heart earrings. Yeah. They're very story driven, whimsical jewelry. Um, so she does that as well. Yeah. So my dad, uh, when I was, b before I was born, my dad was songwriting. He had a band called Zuckerman's Dream that did a couple songs on Columbia Records. And like most us, including myself, you know, it's like, ah, how do you make a living as a musician? So he found great success as a songwriter in the eighties and nineties jingle scene. So all the commercials. So he did that. Um, and then my brother and sister are musicians. So the whole family is full of performers. You brought up earlier the Art Carney connection. So it's in the family, I guess. Um, so he, he Art was your father's father's brother? He, he, exactly. My father's uncle. Yep. Okay. Your father's uncle. Right. Okay. So, mm -hmm. so comedy, um, you also did, you dipped your toe in there, right? Did you, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even answer your question. How did I get on Dave's world? Sorry. How right. is this no, so I went back though. I circled back because I'm looking cool. at the early family because before you get to Dave's world, you're a little, little kid before you're seven. Mm -hmm. Where Do you make a decision? Does your mother make a decision? What do you, what, I was very lucky. So th th there's a stage mom kind of archetype. Thank God I did not have that. Okay, Thank God. So my mom did not want us acting or performing. Uh, we'd walk around in New York City with her and people would say, your, your, your kids should be modeled. No, no, thank you. So my brother kept saying, I want to be an actor. I want to be an actor. My mom said, no, no, this is like a dark thing. Do not get involved in this. And then I don't know who it was. There was a, actually, I know who it was. It was Penny at, at a company back then. 
called uh, I think they were I think they're still called APA, but um not APA, sorry, not APA. Um, I'm blanking on their name, but they were a management company for child talent. Okay. And it was not some creepy guy. It was a, a, a sweet 20-something girl saying, I, your daughter's amazing. We should have her do modeling. My mom said, oh, okay. So she tells you know my dad, I guess, or tells us. And Reeve goes, I want to do that. All right. So she comes over to me with us. Within a week or two, we're auditioning. And she's going, I don't, I don't just, Reeve really wants to do this. If the kids have fun with it, great. If not, you're not doing it. Um, I booked an uncle Ben's rice commercial the first week I, I went on an audition. Then I booked a Flintstone cereal commercial. Oh uh, and then suddenly casting directors were asking about having me read for proper pilots. So one casting director said, we have this Dave's world pilot starring Harry Anderson. We'd love to have Zane Reed. I got sick. Couldn't go. So I figured it's over. I'll go back to schoolwork. Next week, hey, they're still looking for someone, Zane. They they want they want you to come in. I went, I I, I don't. I'm that maybe. She's like, okay, if you don't want to do it, it's fine. I said, I guess it's the right thing to do. So I go in, hadn't practiced my sides. I just had them in the wrong order. Okay, Zane, let's let's have you go outside of the audition room. You didn't really read the lines in the right order. Oh, sorry. Came back in, read them to the best of my ability naturally, and then we got a phone call from the dentist's office later that day. Hey, we're flying Zane out to uh, LA to do a screen test. <laughs> What's a screen test? You're going to fly with Penny. You're going to go out there and auditioned. And then I remember getting the news. I was in the hotel, the hotel selfie tell in Beverly Hills. And uh, yep. Got it. Okay. Got it. Okay. I'll let Zane know. Got it. Uh, Did you read with Harry? Yeah. Yeah. And Jamie Widows, the director and, and Tim O'Donnell, the executive producer and, I didn't know their names back then. I just saw a bunch of old, old dudes. I was seven. I was like a bunch of old idiots. I'm a cool kid. You guys are weird. You got, what are you guys? A hundred, you know, when you're seven, <laughs> like I love asking kids now. Harry had to be cool though. Cause I, I would imagine he would have whipped out a magic trick. Like as soon as you got on the set or something. Girl, I have guitar picks in my hands. Cause I'm, I'm constantly doing magic tricks that I learned with him. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a little magician. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, Harry is, uh, the closest thing other than my dad to a, to a dad figure that I had in my life. And it started from straight up day one. Uh, that audition was effortless because he was funny and, and cracking jokes. The first day on set, the first words out of his mouth to my mom were, I don't want this to be the biggest thing your kid ever does. Okay. He's just here to have a fun time. We're going to make it fun for him. We're going to let him go to school on Mondays. He's going to go to school every four weeks. He's going to have a normal life. Uh, I later found out from him that he felt that the number one form of child abuse was child acting. He's like, that's child abuse. So he did whatever he could to counteract it. So we'd fly up to Seattle and hang out with him and play video games and do magic tricks. And yeah, he was just a second father to me. He really was. I have a lot of side questions off this one. So Mm -hmm. here you are, you're seven, you get, you get Dave's world. You get this, you get this, this prime time sick. How does that impact Reeve, how does that impact? Right. Is there is there sibling jealousy? Are they in? You know what's going on there at home? I mean, I I don't know exactly how they felt. I mean, Reeve's very strong, so I don't think he's ever. I don't know if he ever felt jealous because he's always had a very good sense of self. Paris and I's younger siblings, we've talked about. Oh wow, it's it's tricky being a younger sibling because we always look at our brother as the god, like he's the first, he's the best. Um, so I don't know exactly how Paris felt, but I know that I felt guilty in some ways thinking, man, stole the spotlight and I'm a middle child. What a typical middle child move to steal the spotlight. Um, so 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but, but I, I mean, if there is a God, which I personally do believe in things that are unseen that are happening. And so I, I personally do believe in God, but that's okay if people listening don't. But uh, mine is non-religious at the moment, uh, not organized, but I, I do. And so if there is, which I personally believe there is, uh, it has its own ways of kind of maybe navigating and, and nudging uh, certain certain individuals and, and planets in the right direction. So I go, well, uh, yeah. I really feel like I was just operating out of curiosity, but one could analyze me quitting acting as a, oh, sorry, sorry, I, uh, sorry, I, guys, I'll, I'll go okay. back into the, cut the shadows. Before we get to the, the quitting, so you're in this, you have a few, you get years out of this. You get, yeah. how many years were you on there? Uh, it was, so I was four years on that, and then I did some more work after that for two years. W what else did you do after Dave? I did, I did a film called My Giant with Billy Crystal. Oh and then I did uh, a guest starring spot on the Amanda show, which for, as a kid was like the coolest thing. Um, and then I did a mini series with, with um, my brain is blanking on her name. She's, Oh, she's from the little house in the prairie. The, Melissa, the Gilbert. Young, Melissa Gilbert. Yeah. I did a mini series with her called Zoya. Uh, and then I started getting direct offers for, for different things. And I turned them down because I, I wanted to do guitar. So I quit acting. I remember the on the on the ride to the My Giant callback, the final callback with Billy. I didn't know Billy was going to be there, but he was. Um, I said to my mom, "You know, I'm 14 or 13, whatever I am. I I don't want to do this no more." She went, "Really?" I said, "Yeah, I just want to play guitar and do school." She's like, "You sure?" I said, "Yeah." She goes, "Cool." Hey, APA. Yeah, we're going to go to this audition because you know we committed to this, and this is what we learned in this family. You do what you said you were going to do, but Zane's not going to be acting after this. What the hell? What? We have direct offers coming. He might get this role. So anyway, they were angry, but she's like, "No, he's not doing it." I got my giant. So she said, "Are you going to? I mean, you got offered the role. You don't have to do it." I said, "I'll do this," and then I essentially quit uh, to play guitar. And okay, wait. There you go. All questions before we move on. Any mm -hmm. regrets? Did you ever regret it? No. Love that. No. Um, when you were doing all that stuff, how normal or not normal was your the rest of your life? Uh, that's a great right. It's such a great question though, because you know that whole uh adage like this was my normal. I didn't know any different. That that uh that unfortunately rings true. I, I I didn't realize until I was probably 16 in high school dating my ex-girlfriend. You know, we were kids. Mm -hmm. She had this wide group of friends and every day after school, they just have play dates. I mean, they weren't called play dates when you're a cool teenager, but they'd go to the mall and eat Cinnabon and go to Apple Pan on the on the West Side and hang out at parks. And play. I'm like, what is this? Like, I don't, I'll hang out with you, but I've never had friendships like this. She said, what do you mean? You're, you're voted most popular in like junior high and high school. Like everyone knows you. I said, yeah, I don't hang out after school though. Like I, I go home and I, and I was realizing during the conversation, oh, that's how my child acting template worked. It was go to work, you're friends with them, and then you come home to your family. And there wasn't time to hang how, out. With how did you go to school thing? How it was tricky. I can't believe I actually got good grades in junior high and high school because I kept I, I don't know. I mean, I got A's in on set and I figured it was because I was cheating. Like, you know, I could <laughs> let somebody come on set and. Oh, yeah. On uh, so like, I see. Sorry. So, so to get more into the specifics, yeah. Carol Pine was my set teacher 
And then the woman I referred to in the earlier part of this uh, interview, which was Eva Charney, my godmother, who was on hair, she was my dialogue coach on set. She was the dialogue coach for the whole set. So these were huge, strong, brilliant, wonderful women figures in my life. And uh, yeah, Carol uh, taught us and I would be in a trailer. And so the, the way a, a typical day would look is this. We'd come in on Tuesday at 9 a.m. We'd go right with Eva. We'd do the read through with the whole cast. We'd work with Eva for an hour working on the lines. We'd go to school from 11 to noon, 10 to noon, whatever it was, eat lunch, go back to school, come on set whenever they needed us to do a few lines, go back to school, and the day would end around 4 to 6 p.m. So I had a full work day from 9 to 6 from age 7 to really 8 to 12 while doing school on set. So there were like no breaks. So I, no wonder I don't understand the concept of taking time for myself. I'm just like, go. Um, but no socialization with that. There was no time for socialization. Well, thank God. Thank God for Andrew Ducote. Andrew was my co-star on the show. He was a year younger than I am and played two years younger in the show. I don't know what I would have turned into if Andrew weren't on that show. What a man. And we're like friends now. He's editing uh, a music uh, performance piece. My old, my band Carney did. So yeah, he's just the best man. Um, okay. But so there was no like parties and, and after school, you, there was no time for any of that for you. There really wasn't time for it. And I, and I found ways to be somewhat normal. I mean, I hung out with, um, like I did roller hockey during that time. And so I'd play roller hockey with the kids. My brother and I were on a team. I, uh, I did a, I did a few different things that were socializing, but yeah, I mean, my best friend in my mind was either Andrew or my friend, Adam Meyerfeld, who lived in New York city. Like the idea of an active best friendship is not something I really had. Thank God for Andrew. I did, but yeah, it was, it was not a, exactly the, the typical social structure. Um, and I'd get home later after my siblings cause I was still working. And then on right. Fridays we'd film, uh, till 10 PM and oh, they'd what? let us come a little later cause we were kids. So we'd come at maybe noon on Fridays and then Paris and Reed would grumble. Why does Zanga to wake up late? And I never explained to them. I didn't know. I'm like, I'm working till 10. Let me sleep in. Dang. Like I'm not, it's not like I'm doing it because I'm lazy. It's because I'm working. So it was a weird, weird, weird thing. But but it, it worked out in a few regards. So when I'm in a session now as a, as a hired gun, I, you know, we haven't talked too much about specifics, but I love many different forms of artistic expression. So I've been a hired gun uh, as, as a touring musician. I've been a session player. I've been a producer. Um, I've been uh, a songwriter, an artist. So in all these different arenas, I use my acting tools. So I remember being on set and a director would say, uh, you know, uh, this moment, Zane, has to feel connected and it has to feel like you really care about what Harry's saying. Okay. And I'd go, okay, okay got it. And then I do it again. Now, obviously caring and doing those feelings is, is the best way to get to that, but there is technique involved in displaying that, especially on a 90s sitcom. So I had to translate, Oh, so, so maybe caring might look like this. If it's, if I said, uh, dad, I really love you. Maybe that doesn't feel as caring as dad, dad, I really love you. I'm trying to get you know, something like it's like these are things of just like I'm really I need you to hear me and me me needing you to hear me is me caring about you because I'm taking you in and I'm so there are little things I had to just figure out as a kid so when a guy in a session says hey uh make this song feel more buttery I'm like oh, buttery 
Okay, buttery. So, like, no, that's like too folky. Buttery. That's it. Press record. That's it. I'm like, okay, buttery. Right, because an F sharp and a G rubbing in a half step on the third and fourth does create a butter while still being nice and pleasant. Cool. So it's like, I, I'm really grateful that I acted as the point because it allowed me to work on this translation tool of like, what do they really mean? So in, in some sense, I think, although I want to be an artist and I want to break free and have other people produce my work and play in my band, I, one of my best skills probably to this day is collaborating with others because I can help them achieve their vision because of those tools. You also have an amazing gift. Like I was listening to your Twitch last night and you're, you, I, I, I only understood half the words you were using because it was all this, <laughs> this tech gaming. It's super topic. geeky. I love it. But, but, but then you can turn around and in the next minute have a conversation with me. Totally, um, I don't want to, respectful is the wrong word, but um, totally appropriate and, uh, and lovely with, with, an old, with an old person. <laughs> and but you move you move through the world you move through the world with ease and I mm. think that's probably a product of you probably have, you've dealt with adults your whole life right you've been right. in you've been, been in the adult world your whole life you behave right. like an adult so mm. it was so interesting because all of my dealings with you you're so um, enthusiastic responsible lovely. But then to see you be this kid last night, kind of, you know, this Twitch kid who likes to game and do all this right. stuff. It was right. just sweet to see how, with what ease you move through. And I think that's true of your acting, your music, you, you know, mm. things that you do, you move through with ease. Thank and you so much. Lovely to watch. Um, okay. Mm. So about the transition to music. So you, you decide, I want to be a musician. This is what I'm going to do. You only started playing when you were what, 12, right? Yeah. Almost kind of when I was 10, just cause my brother got a guitar when he was 12 and I four months later asked if I could pick one up. Uh, oddly enough, the first song I learned on the guitar age of Aquarius. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's weird. Um, it's a great song. A lot of key changes uh, or two at least, but um, yeah. So I, uh, I learned that, and then I, I, um, I think I was 12 when I discovered Wes Montgomery. A lot of stuff went down when I was 12. The show canceled. Uh, the We moved to L.A. permanently. There were a lot of big shifts. And uh, I discovered Wes Montgomery, and that, that really changed my life because it became less about being in a garage band or trying to be cool or, I don't know, doing music for the social reasons. And it yeah, it hit me in my core, which is uh, I love figuring out how things work. And I heard him solo on No Blues on an album called Smoking at the Half Note. And uh, I just in immediately went, this is how my brain works. I, uh, I get this in the sense that this is my soul. I don't know why it's my soul. I intend to find out. So the next two or three years, I went to guitar camp uh, every summer for a week or two. I studied the melodic minor modes. I studied diatonic harmony. I studied jazz turnarounds. Did you and, uh, or did you teach? Were you self-taught? I was kind of half and half. I didn't have a consistent private teacher, um, but I went to a, a high school, Hamilton High School Academy of Music at 14 on, and we had jazz band every day. Um, but yeah, private lessons, I didn't, I probably had about 15 
in my life before college. Uh, but I would go to these intensives for two weeks, you know, uh, guitar, I think it was called the, the national guitar workshop. It doesn't exist anymore, but I went to that, um, had a great teacher named Tom Dempsey who taught me, I remember the day the light bulb went off. He's like, all right, here's the Dorian mode. It's, you know, if you're in C start on the note D and uh, you, you walk up it and you can create it by starting on D and ending on D in the key of C or have someone play a D minor chord and play a C major scale. And my, my mind went, what? So after class, I'm 13. Like, and then what? So does that mean if you start on F and you play a C major scale, it's another mode? He's like, yeah. Like, wait, okay. So how do I practice this? He's like, get some two five ones, play them into some recorder, some tape recorder, and then just start soloing over them. And I'm like, oh my God. So I was like 13 or 14 being exposed to pretty pretty fundamental core music theory. And that's that was always my guiding light versus, all right, if I get there, then I'll be famous. And then I'll, you know, it's just like, <laughs> I care about learning about this. And that's why I quit acting, you know, because I, I found something I cared about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh. Okay, so you start doing the music, and you're, you're now going to regular school. Yeah. Is, is it a weird transition to now be in a classroom with other kids and doing thankfully, that? Thankfully, it wasn't as weird, I think, again, because I was lucky to have Andrew. So I had a friend, and we had hiatuses during Dave's World. So I would still be going to, to school. Uh, once every three weeks, I'd go to regular school for a week, and then oh. every four months, I'd go for the rest of the school year. So it, it didn't feel that weird. The only thing that was a little odd was coming back to New York City, because we didn't move to LA until I think September of '97, something like that. So we had April to July in New York City. Dave's rules been canceled. I'm back in New York, I'm going to school, and it was just a bunch of oh, here's the actor kid, here's the famous kid. How's it feel being famous? Yeah, what's up, man? Like, it's fine. I don't know. Why are you, what? I'm not even famous. No one knows about the child actors on a CBS show. Like, stop. So that, that I didn't like and kind of made fun of for, what did I do wrong? I just, dang. Uh, Yeah. But it it normalized by the time I got to high school. And once I got into the jazz band, I guess, C, yeah, the first jazz band, it was pretty clear that this was going to be the the thing and so people liked me for that they didn't know about my acting a lot of my high school friends do not know i was on a child a child or i was on a sitcom wow and so 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 how did carney come to be that uh so it started really in when i was 12 believe it or not we had a band called the bluesberries the bluesberries featured aiden moore the bass player from carney john epcar the drummer from carney Reeve Carney, the Reeve Carney from Carney, and Zane Carney, the Zane Carney from Carney. And we also had our friend Kalen Housewright, and he played rhythm guitar as well. So this is the Bluesberries. We had a show that like Tiger Beat covered because it was some actor thing, and I was still on Dave's World. And oh, we're gonna come bring the girls to this show and watch these guys solo. And, and so we did that. And then uh I think it was seven, six years later, Reeve started really writing songs and doing solo shows of his as Reeve Carney. I was touring with either Renee Olstead or Jesse McCartney at the time, and I was I had I was off a tour date, and Reeve said, "Yeah, man, you want to play guitar with me at this Kulax Woodshed or some small venue in the Valley?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, sure." So I played, and then Reeve said, "Dude, this is so awesome playing with you, man. Playing with my brother, we should play together more." I should say it. We also in between that time, I played guitar for Reeve Carney, the blues, you know, prodigy. Um, so anyway, yeah, we started there. 
couple months later, we're playing Molly Malone's and Reeve said, you know what? Let's call it Reeve Carney and the revolving band, like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. So playing together again, this time, John Eckhart's not in the band yet. Technically Aiden's not in the band yet. Just a revolving cast of people. Eventually Aiden joins the band. And then we have a different drummer. My sister's singing. Charles Jones is playing organ. Sometimes Tommy King. It's just revolving. Mm-hmm. We get signed by Interscope and by DOS, which is a management team. And pretty quickly they said, okay, cool. We're going to put you with this producer and uh, good luck. We get in with the producer and he felt really strongly. We had to change a few members of the band. The label felt that we should really get a clear commitment on certain people of the band. Uh, our uh, another member from our management team said, you cannot tour as a seven person band. We need only four of you for the first run. So throughout all that awful transition, it turned into this beautiful thing, which was Reeve, John, Aiden, and, and Zane. And then we decided to call ourselves Carney instead of Reeve Carney, the revolving band. And then the label said, Hey, we'd like to have Zane be a part of this, uh, label and this management team as well. So we'll sign him, uh, and then that turned into like, oh, I guess Reeve and I are kind of the heads of the band. But I thought I was just playing guitar with my brother, but okay. Um, and then the band broke up, <laughs> but we had a good run. We had a real good run. You had you had a you had a great run. Um, very very renowned in LA. What what um, can you talk about why the band broke up? Or is that yeah. No, totally. So we were doing uh, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark because mm-hmm. Julie came to see our band play, Julie Taymor. She mm-hmm. wanted the whole band in the musical. Reeve played Spider-Man, of course, and I played lead guitar and John and Aiden played bass and drums. Mm-hmm. Uh, during that show, it just became clear that there were creative differences and uh, we tried to make it work for a few months in, at the end of 2011, early 2012, mm-hmm. and it just wasn't working out. Um, so I was that was a big turning point for me because I had really given a lot of, a lot to that band. Like everything I had, I turned down so much, so much. And I, I made the right choice. I did not make the wrong choice, but I turned down music directing for big artists and traveling to different locales as a jazz musician. And I turned it all down for Carney. I made the right choice though, because about three months after we broke up, I got back into acting a little bit auditioning and then about two months after that, I got a phone call from John Mayer saying, hey, man, I know you got Carney. I know you got Spider-Man. I'm like, you do? How do you know that? What? <laughs> okay. Huh? You want to uh, come on tour with me? Yes. Yeah. That would be awesome. So, um, you Wait, know, doing Carney. How did you, like, become a side man? Like, you, you mentioned Jesse McCartney a, a long yeah. time. How did that break for you? How did, how mm. did you get into that world? That was just me uh, being willing to say yes to any gig that came up. So I I was 16. I started playing random jazz casuals at weddings, at bar mitzvahs, at uh, lobster shacks. You know, yeah, man, if it pays even 50 bucks, I'm in because I'm 16 or 17 and I want to have a career. So let's go. And I didn't even want to have a career, actually. I wanted to prove to all the jazz people I was the best. Taking gigs, that's how you do it. That's how you get better. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I was... Uh, 18, I was about to graduate high school. David Foster came to our high school. He said, all right, I want to hear, I want to hear someone play. Someone impressed me. I was thinking, what, what just happened? I thought he was just coming to our school to give a lecture. And so a f- few friends around me, yo, Zane, Zane, hey, you should hear Zane Carney. He should. I'm like, oh, uh, what? Who's Zane? Come up here. Come up here. Yeah. You Zane, come up here. All right. Plug into this, uh, mixing board and just play. I'm like, all right. Okay. So I plugged in. It sounded God awful. You do not plug an electric guitar into a mixing board. 
direct <laughs> unless unless you're Prince and you have a nice outboard gear, but this was not nice outboard gear. So I I just started. I did my little version of Round Midnight. I had this whole like like this straight eighth note thing. I know we're really compressed right now because we're here for the voice, but um, I was just doing that stuff and he went, cool. All right. Okay. Okay. A couple days later, uh, this is Mr. Kaufman's office. Zane Carney, please come to the principal's office. Zane Carney. I'm like, what? I never do anything wrong. I never even ditched class. What? Uh, hey, Mr. Kaufman, is there a problem? David Foster called. He wants you to audition for Michael Buble's band tomorrow. I'm like, oh. Oh well, who's, who's Michael Buble? No one knew who that was at the time. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Go to the audition. He's like, hey, Michael, this is Zane. I'm like, hey, nice to meet you. He's like, these 18-year-old kid, man, this guy's crazy, man. Uh, Zane, do that West Montgomery thing you do. I'm like, oh, oh, the octave stuff? Yeah. Did, oh, yeah. Do that core melody stuff you do. I'm like, uh, do, 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 do. see what I'm saying? Michael's like, okay, okay, damn. Okay, cool. Uh, had my cell phone in the rehearsal. Dropped it into a gutter, maybe. I don't know where the cell phone went. Here we are, I don't know, four days later. I don't have a cell phone. I, I dropped it at their audition. Like, I keep calling my voice number. Did I get the gig? Did I get the gig? Didn't get a phone call. Two weeks passed by. I go, I lost my cell phone, but it doesn't matter because I didn't get the gig anyway. So who cares, man? Whatever. Maybe I should just be an actor. Um, I get a, I, I'm in Monterey Jazz Festival. I'm up, up there playing with my high school big band. My friend Tommy gets a call. Hello? Oh, David Foster? Oh. <laughs> Okay, here. And I, I'm like, what? He's like, hey, David, it's Zane. I couldn't reach you. I've been trying to reach you. I called Tommy because I had to get, we need you to come down to the first rehearsal tomorrow at the Roosevelt Hotel. You're, you're in the band. I'm like, I got a gig? What? <laughs> Drive down with my mom. I get right to the rehearsal at 6 p.m., have my guitar. I come in and I see another guitar player. Now, mind you, as a jazz guitar player, that's, I knew what was happening. A, a rock guitar player might be like, cool, two guitar players? Doesn't right. happen in a big band. Big bands have one guitar player, if that, to be frank. So I was like, huh? What? And then as I'm walking to plug in my guitar amp, David comes in from the side. He's like, I'm so sorry, man. The manager was freaking out because he couldn't get in touch with you. We're, we got someone else. But like, honestly, I promise you I'll remember you. I'm like, okay, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. I shouldn't have lost my phone. God dang it. Anyway, six months later, he called me for an Alstead and I went on tour with her. And then I kept getting gigs. But yeah, he did remember me. But so yeah, David that was Foster, David Foster kind of opened that door for you, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then I was at church. I remember being at church and some guy said, Hey, I heard you've been working on tour with an artist. You want to audition for Jesse McCartney? Who's that? Sure. And so then I auditioned for that and got that job. And then uh and word kind of starts spreading after you have a couple gigs. Like, oh, you I've seen you on that tour and You've played in front of 10,000 people. Therefore, this company will endorse you. Oh, you're on Dia Dario's website now. Oh, so yeah, it started with really just someone offering me a gig and I was willing to do whatever. I mean, I would, I don't even know how much money I made on that tour with Renee, but I was like, I don't, don't even pay me. I don't care. I just want to work. I'm seven, I'm 19, 18. Like, yes, I'll do it. Um, odd thing is though, because I hadn't gotten the phone call from him yet, I actually had taken a meeting with my agents two months before the Renee said call and I was going to get back in acting and I had to call them and say, sorry, I got a tour. I'll be back in six months. They're like, Oh, 
thought we were going to get you back out there, Zane, but we'll see what happens uh, moving forward. But uh, I, I don't really regret many of the decisions I've made uh, as it pertains to following what makes me feel alive. Um, and yeah, music has been that for most of the past two decades. So I feel pretty confident and happy about that choice. So at what point, Zane, did it, did it become apparent that you should be front and center and doing your own stuff? How did that, um, how did that happen? As a middle child, I'd say the day I was born, get out of my way, motherfucker. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> get out of my way, brother, sister, damn. Uh, no, um, I don't know if it's clear to me yet. I'll be totally frank. I mean, I, I, when I was in Kearney, when I was 19, many people at my church were saying, when's your solo project coming out? Mm-hmm. People, it's a late night show I played on. When's Zane Kearney's solo project? And I kept saying to them, I'm in a band, okay? Mm-hmm. Kearney, like, it, that's my project. No, where's your project? I'm like, dude, do you, no one calls Keith Richards. Like, what is your solo project? It's fucking wrong, wrong stuff. He's doing it already. Like, that's my project is Carney. Right. I co-write a little bit. I help with all the guitar parts and orchestrations. I do lead guitar solos. I help produce. That's my project. But I realized once the band broke up that I, it takes a lot to be a front man, way more than I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, even just the pressure of doing solo shows where uh, there's no one that can do the job for me. I, you know, I could sub out of a Carney gig and Reeve could do it. Right. But Carney can't happen without Reeve. And having that pressure is a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, having a Zane Carney show live and die by me being healthy and available is very stressful. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually finishing a song by myself mm-hmm. for my project. That's a big, that's a, that's a lot easier than throwing a few chord changes your lead singer's way. Hey, go write it, Reeve. It's a way different thing. So I gained a lot of respect for all lead frontmen and my brother by, by having to become a front man. I knew that I didn't want to be a hired gun only once I left Carney, once the Carney ended, mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted uh, to be involved in the creative process. And I figured the best way to do that is just to become my own lead singer. So that was my decision. And I, I'm very judgmental and, and stern when it comes to my artistic expression. So I think it was the best choice because I don't have to tell a singer, just do this thing. I, I can just do it. Um, I'm going to ask you in a minute to sing one of your songs, but before we do that, how is it as a, you know, you're a front man. Now you've got your own songs. Now you've got your own, uh, CDs, albums, as I call them. How, Mm -hmm. how do you then go back out and be a side man? Like is, how is that for you? It's, I, it's interesting. I, I, st- I still love it because I get to do my element of, of helping create a vision, you know, using those tools we talked about earlier with the acting, acting stuff. But uh, it depends on the job. I mean, I, I've maybe been, I might maybe have been too selective the past five or six years. Cause really six years ago when I moved back to LA, I thought, all right, Spider-Man's over. The John Mayer tour has ended. I don't know if I'll play with him ever again. If I don't ever play with him again, what a gift. Oh my God. Thank you for that opportunity, John. Uh, we'll see what happens, but I'm, I'm laser focused on my solo career. So I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to do residencies and, and, and all that stuff. And so I did, and all signs were pointing towards that really taken off in uh, 2015, but then I got sick. It's a long story, but I got sick. Uh, and with like a mysterious chronic fatigue, Lyme, Lyme, who knows what it was, but I was just real fatigued for about a year. And so I ended up, uh, yeah, kind of that momentum was lost. And the past four years have been 
Let's get the momentum back. And I was really about to, I mean, when before COVID, I was in the best shape of my life. I was about to star in this musical. I was about to bring my agents. Like, let's go. I'm back. And we're closing. Cool. Okay. <laughs> Time to beg for money on Twitch. Time to be a busker. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I love my community on Twitch. You guys are laughing, hopefully, that. But it's just a totally different mode of expression than creating. And yeah, they're laughing, thankfully. <laughs> We're going to we're going we're to come to your Twitch people and talk about that in a minute. So, so how did I, I how did the John Mayer thing happen? Uh, John Mayer. So that started. Uh, yeah, I, I've heard do, versions of this story, but I think the the real truth is, mm -hmm. um, I made mutual friends with a lot of artists in LA growing up out here. And one of them was one of my favorite, most loving sweetheart of a musicians, a man by the name of James Valentine, who plays with Maroon 5. He's long blonde hair, their lead guitar player and collaborator, writer. You know, he's just brilliant. And he uh, apparently he talked to John and said, hey, I heard you were you know, looking for a new guitar player. You should check out Zane. He's like, who's Zane? No, oh, I'll send you some YouTube links. And then a couple of days later, John just said, hey, man, I saw some YouTube stuff. Uh, I'm in, man. I want someone who does R&B and gospel and jazz and folk and jam band and rock. And I said, oh, that sounds like that sounds like me. I like all that stuff. He's like, well, you want to do it? Yes, please. I would like to do that. <laughs> and so I, yeah, with about two and a half years of, of of playing with him, it was a real dream. It was really, really I awesome. Imagine, I imagine it's been a life changer for you. It really was. It really has been. You know, it's funny too, because I, I didn't, haven't done his past couple tours. And every now and then I get a text from a friend, hey, I'm coming to see you on tour with John. Are you? And I'll say, oh, no, I'm not playing with him anymore, or at least not right now. And they say, what? What happened? I'm like, nothing. It, it's odd to me. It's almost like when, like if, if a basketball coach, you know, gets hired by a team and then mm -hmm. his contract's up and he's not renewed and people go, oh, that's a real shame. And I go, uh, he fulfilled his contract. He got paid by the contract. They're both happy with the results. Uh, that's, that's to me. That's a great partnership and a great relationship. Mm -hmm. I, I'm nothing but grateful for I, that. That that even the way I said that sounded like I was being facetious. I'm not. I, I it changed my life playing with him. I will forever be grateful to him, and I love him as a person, and I love his music, and I love really pretty much everything he stands for. So, and I think he's one of the best songwriters of our generation. And I think in about 20 years, people are going to look back and go, "Oh, damn, what?" Like not go listen to Burner. And, but also an incredible guitarist. He, oh, he's crazy. It always surprises me, like how brilliant yeah. he is. It's and he's getting better at guitar too, which is crazy. And I say that as someone who's, yeah, I'm trying to get better too. It's just, he's, he's continuing to add new elements to his playing, but his songwriting is so insanely good. It's so clear and concise and meaningful. Walt Grace's Submarine Test, check mm -hmm. out that song. That is a good song. That is a great song. I but now let's let's check out one of your songs, Zane. Um, yeah. I, I like I I was telling you before we went live that I was listening to your song "I Love You" and and at the beginning of the song you say that this is or maybe it was in the liner notes I'm not sure you say this is my favorite song that I've written today and hmm. I play it and I was like yeah this is really great and then something happens in the middle of the song that just yes. blew my brains out. Would you, would you play? It? Yes. Yeah, totally. I'm going to quickly change the compression setting on this. Uh, I'm going to talk to people while you're doing it. Okay, um, great. Everybody's just loving you. What, what they're saying, how great you are and how much they love you. And, and you guys uh, so sweet. Uh, Oops. Uh, I'm trying to see if we've got any questions here. How do um, I tighten this even more? One second, Vic. I'm just going to fix this real quick. No, 
do what you need to do. We can, hey, Rob, um, this is Rob. I'm saying, hey, 220 stories. Yes. Uh, we've done there just the short. Um, you've done, you've done studio work with John as well. Yes. You were on one yeah. 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 I played guitar on Paradise Valley on a couple songs. Um, yeah. So, Tony's saying team player. So cool. Yes. Absolutely. Um, that should tighten that just enough. And then we'll get some reverb going. Love it. Okay, let's see if we can get this all working. Let's turn some reverb on. There we go. Hit check one, two. I just figured this mic setup thing last night, so hopefully this sounds good to everyone. Also, to my to my Twitch chat, what's up, guys? I haven't talked to you guys at all. But thanks no, for being here and watching this. Talk to your Twitchers for a minute. Sure, absolutely. Guys, it's so nice to have you all here. We have 60, we've had about 62 concurrent viewers for the past uh, two hours of this or hour and a half. And it's so nice to have you guys here. Thanks for uh, sticking around while I while I don't talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are the best. You're enjoying this, they say. We're having fun. Love Loving the interview. This is super interesting. Um, Mountain Goat, my man. Shane. Uh, you guys are awesome. All right, well, let's do this song. Um, yeah, I will say there's a one song that that is probably surpassed this as my favorite song. Oh, play but that. Like play that. Really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll play that. I, I'm not sure what sort of uh, listeners you have on your podcast, but I have a feeling that this will be their favorite song that I've written too, I think. Yeah. I mean, they've never heard me, but maybe. Of course they've heard you. That you did mm. Yes, of course they have. Yeah, I hope you guys like this one. This one's getting a proper production uh, soon. It's called Ever After. I don't believe in ever after. Isn't what I want all that matters These self-inflicted wounds, they won't revive Like the time I lost my kite It was 97 I was 11 The very next day I lost my mind Twenty years later, I can't find it I guess I'll never know until I try But my father never cries And I'm right there with him So why do I miss him? I despair 
Every day I check my hair Am I Shirei? Am I Shirei? I love the singer-songwriter thing. Can you tell us what uh, what inspired that? Yeah, I mean, that was uh, a song that came out of a session I was doing with a, a really incredible producer by the name of Tony Berg. And um, yeah, we... Oops, let's put that back. I don't want you to put that away so fast because I still think I want you to play I Love You. because I Yeah, I'd be happy to. I also would change the compression settings because I forgot to took the compression off this mic. Thanks for the love, everyone. Thanks for the applauses. Aww. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, did, I did some work with him, and he encouraged me to write songs that were uh, more transparent and more honest. And the story of that song is – it's essentially about my journey that I'm still going through. I'm still walking through it, which is the, uh, the letdowns in life. And so in my mind, it was uh, – Whatever I set my mind to, 
I could achieve. And I, it's not that I don't believe that anymore, but uh, I forgot that it's not just my will that exists on planet Earth, but there are 7 billion other wills, number one. Number two, there are natural laws and one might call God's will. So uh, my vision of the story went like this. Carney starts. We do Spider-Man for six months. We end that. We open for you too. All that happened. We did all that. Uh, we leave Spider-Man. We release our full-length record. We are played on rock radio. We're mm -hmm. the next Kings of Leon. Everyone's adoring me. I'm the coolest guitar player. I'm so mysterious. Oh my god, I'm so dark and cool. And I play the craziest guitar stuff. And I'm a I'm a worldwide phenomenon. And I go down in history as the greatest guitar player who ever lived. This is the story I thought. A lot oh, of that. Yeah, but then, but then oh, we're breaking up. Oh, the band's breaking up. That's uh does not compute uh okay i'll, I'll just start my whole thing because all of that was true actually right most of, well but, but then the story you know gets darker for me at least like okay well i guess i'll just reinvent myself let me write songs let me like care about singing let's do this man i'm gonna go on tour with john mayer that tour is gonna end i'm gonna get picked up by a record label oh my god get ready ladies let's do this <laughs> and then uh and then i get sick you know on tour on my final tour date in germany uh and i get what's called chronic Lyme, Lyme disease, uh, chronic fatigue, we don't know. Now, a beautiful thing happened from that, which is I became friends with some collaborators who are Lyme warriors, as you call it. So I started writing with artists that are that are uh, advocates of Lyme disease and they're well-known artists. Uh, uh, but I also, um, yeah, I, it was very challenging. So I went, okay, well, all I got to do is just get out of bed. But with whatever I had going on, you can't just get out of bed. Caffeine doesn't do it. Food doesn't do it. Diet doesn't do it. It's just, it was a mysterious illness. So I just, ah, I can't get up. And that thus started this thinking of, but my whole life, if I wanted to get straight A's, I got straight A's. If I wanted to be the best jazz guitar player in my school, I did. If I wanted to be one of the best guitar players in LA, I just practice and you didn't do it. Why can't I get out of bed? Why can't I go to do the dishes without having to sleep for 20 hours? What is wrong with me? Um, and then the labels stopped being as interested, you know, we, they were about to sign me probably. Yeah, I mean, doctors, you're trying to figure this out and, and yeah. you're not anywhere. No, it was very frustrating. It's, that's the one thing. The only reason I wouldn't want to talk about that is not because it brings up too much for me, but just because I don't even know what it was. I, I mean, most people would say you had chronic Lyme. It's like, cool. But I, I blasted myself with antibiotics. Then I tried herbal stuff. Then I went to Vancouver to do this random ass infrared treatment that was probably total BS. Then I tried exercising. Then I tried eating no gluten. I tried all of it. And it just kind of went away on its own after a year to two years. And there were still lingering effects the past couple, past year and a half. The quarantines made it easy for me. Just stay home, work feverishly, and I don't have to travel too much. And my energy levels are fantastic pretty much. So, um, yeah, it's it was a really dark time, and and this the idea of this song I don't believe in ever after. Uh, it's kind of like a Christopher Nolan film. You know how he starts in the beginning of the film, showing the end, oftentimes, and it's so. Um, the song is sort of about now, but most of the content of the song uh, is about things that have happened twenty years ago. You know, uh, like the the that like the, that time my kite flew away, which is it's a different thing that actually happened in my life, but. Uh, the idea of, I don't know if you've ever had a kid or seen a kid who has a balloon and it flies away and they can't stop crying. You know, it's like just a balloon, but not to that kid. That represents something. So mm -hmm. there's there are elements of that in the song and elements of uh, the ridiculous idea of my hairline receding, which is ridiculous to everyone who knows me except for me. I'm like, oh no, what if it does? What if, is it starting? You know, it's <laughs> like, well, you're 35. It better start soon. I'm like, it's, ah, I think it already started. 
well, it should have started 10 years ago. So congrats. No, it's, it's, uh, uh. so all these concerns I think are more why someone would not believe in ever after than actually mm -hmm. not believing in it. Like if I live in a world where I'm constantly worried about decay, uh, I don't have time to, to be excited about ever after the beautiful ever after. So I don't know. They're just a bunch of philosophical things I was trying to explore in the song. Yeah. So, so this Twitch thing that you do that you've invented. So you were about to do hair, hair doesn't happen. The pandemic right. happens. Right. What's your first, how do you first deal? How COVID crazy are you? First of all, are you out in the world? Do you go shopping? Do you go out in the world? What do you do? I am more on the side of caution than most people my age okay. uh, for, for a few reasons. Yeah. I mean, the first few months of it, it was a very, I was essentially a hundred million percent locked down mm -hmm. and anyone I knew who was not able to do that confused me. I'm like, just do it. Like then we'll be over this nightmare. Just do it. Like yeah. just do it correctly. And we're out of here. But I still feel that way and people yeah. still can do it. Yeah. It's, it's tricky. And I, and I, I guess what people, it's tricky because on the one hand, we're, we're right. Science is right. That's how you end this. You know, it dies the last person, which sucks. And then it's over, but that's not realistic because people um, have a hard time following rules. One, because they want liberty and freedom, not just in America, around the world. They just well, I want, I want autonomy and they don't get how their actions affect others because um, they're afraid of conspiracies or, you know, I get it. I mean, there's, there are legitimate psychological reasons for arguing for that side. But to me, as someone who loves science and math, really love science and math. I was the, I was the warning sign to almost all of my friends and family on March 10th. I was like, just so you guys know, this is bad. They're like, it'll probably one death we've had, like, it's going to be fine. I'm like, yeah. So just so you guys know the number one, if you double it, what number do you think you'll end up with on day 30? They're like, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand, like multiple billions. Like, I don't think you get how exponential curves work. Like this could mm -hmm get out of control real fast. Mm -hmm. um, and, and people didn't get that. And I, I uh, so I locked down early and, and was really serious about it. And then I was very nervous for a couple months. And then I'm not as nervous now, but I don't go to grocery stores. I don't go anywhere that's not aerosol or whatever that where aerosols can uh, coagulate. What do you do? What, what, by the way, Snuffy's here and he's saying your hairline looks good. <laughs> oh, God bless you, Snuffy. How's my voice sound? Okay. <laughs> I love you, Snuffy. What um what do you what are you willing to do? Um I don't I, I'll tell you this much. I am one of those odd hermits that would be fine doing this another two years. And I just get delivery food and I have my beautiful backyard and I swim in my pool and mm -hmm. I stream and I write my songs. I mean, I'm cool with that. Also, what I think people near me and my family and otherwise forget is that I toured from age 18 to 34 like a lot mm -hmm. so i'm down with being home for a couple of years it, it was exhausting so i'm ready to just wake okay. up do you have anybody in your bubble like, yeah well who, so who my, can come into your world so my roommate and my girlfriend we all live here okay. so that's that's our our bubble essentially and then my best friend greg who only hangs out with a couple people is his family really and his roommate uh -huh. he comes over mm -hmm. and we're doing an outdoor gig my first real gig not for me for like it's just a fun thing for my friends families but they're paying us we're like oh, we'll come outside and play outdoors to eight people from outside sure so that i'm willing to do but uh, if they said hey we're opening hair next week i'd be like all right i don't know if i feel comfortable with that i don't know if i do just yet um 
I don't really feel nervous for my own safety as much as I did in the beginning. I more feel that it's, um, I'd like this hell hellish nightmare to end. And I think it ends faster. The more of us just stay home. And, but then again, it'll, it'll keep happening if we, if one person leaves the house now, now my uh, so a couple of friends have made the point of, well, yeah, you could eradicate it maybe in a couple months, but then someone else can bring it back in. I'm like, right. But I know this isn't realistic for the, for the economy of the world, but straight yeah. up if for two to three weeks, we really stayed home. It, it would die with the last person and it, and it would not come back. Like, we can end this if we really care to, but we're probably going to turn this into a seasonal thing because we just can't stop the economy. Can't stop. I don't know. It's been really tough. I've been sort of judgmental about people around this more than I should be probably, but it, it affects everyone. And I'm very angry that we're not just getting rid of it. It's like, you are one of us. I, this is exactly, yeah. they would just shut us down, lock us down for four yeah. weeks. We could right. go and, and by the way, Dr. Fauci and Sandeep have said, Sandeep, they've said this. They're like, yeah, it would, but it's not possible because people won't follow that. I'm like, well, but it is possible. What you're saying is it is possible. Let's do it. Um, but then it's like, well, then we're living in, a, in an enemy of the state. I'm thinking, dude, we'll do this once every couple hundred years. We did it in 1918. Oh, oh I'm sorry. We didn't do it in 1918. Yeah, 50 million deaths. How about we just do it? correctly you get freaking idiots just do it and then we'll be done with it but the problem is this half measure thing is worse and yeah. just so you know as you can probably tell from the way i speak i'm uh i'm not for the president so okay. uh yeah, it's like, my next question because i I, yeah. I was waiting to fill you out before i went there um Okay. I was the most anti him out of anyone I know before the election. And my friend said, it's just his tweets. I'm like, how you do one thing is how you do everything. This freaking moronic idiot get it. This is not good for us, man. So someone who half measures and can't make a, a damn decision because they have no spine, that's a problem. So it, it would have been better to just say, leave it open. And maybe it would have hurt him unit. I don't know. But this half measured like lack of clarity. Oh, what a nightmare. We really did the worst version that we could have done. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And you know, they did they did it in Italy to the point where they they locked everybody down and you had to you were only allowed to leave once every two weeks to go to the grocery store. Right. And they would make they would look to make sure that you had Guess what? My girlfriend who's from Romania, same with her family. She had to have a note to go to the grocery store. They're doing wow. jazz festivals in Romania right now. And we're yeah. sitting here going, we're going, we're going, can we even live? Like, are we allowed to go to the grocery store yet? Cause we half measured. And the people who say we want freedom, it's like, well, we're trying to help. It's like going to a doctor. You're like, all right, doc, my eyes are screwed up. How do I do it? Well, I have to put you under, I don't believe in being put under. Okay. I don't, I have, you want help, right? I ha you have to get put under. We want freedom. You want freedom? Stay home for a little while longer and in the right way, and then you'll have full freedom forever again, just like you had. Well, I want freedom now. Well, that means that you want to eat 15 Twinkies now and then be out of shape. To Like, do you understand what that does to you? Like, if you want to have the strong body, exercise, don't eat the Twinkies. Like, you can't go out now if you want to have freedom for the next five years. So stop now so you can have freedom the next five years. It's like so obvious to me, but it's, I mean, th there are nuances that I'm not, uh, I'm not an epidemiologist. So there are nuances of the human psyche that I don't know how to speak to. You know, how do you get someone to stop? Well, people like me who loved school, who loved trying to get A's, who like following certain types of rules. I'm a total rule breaker when it comes to jazz. I'm a total rule breaker when it comes to guitar. But when it is benefiting my mind and body and heart, I will follow the rules. A lot of people aren't like that. So to get them to, as Noam Chomsky puts it, manufacture consent, you have to do certain tricks. And I don't know that they're doing those correctly either. 
uh, to get the people who don't like following rules to, to just follow like what do you properly. How, how, what hap what do you think happens in our anarchist society? What, how yeah. do we get through this? What do you think? Oh, that's a great question. I wish I was, oh man, I wish I was smart enough to answer that. Um, <laughs> intellectually, but what is your, do you think there's an end game here for us? Is this something that's just going to go on and on? I have, I'm a bit of a, of a, a skeptic's the wrong word because I'm not that, unfortunately cynic is, eh, no, that's not true for me either. I'm a bit of an optimist. Mm -hmm. I, and I'm also not a realist because I think there's a connotation there of just negative nancying. Mm -hmm. I believe in making each moment as positive as I can with what I have. Mm -hmm. And I don't always do that. I say 20% of the time I actually do it, but that's my goal. And, uh, and so to do that in, with regards to this, uh, you know, point you brought up, um, you know, I've been talking to friends and they're saying, yeah, we'll probably be back to playing shows in, in six months to a year. And I'm like, I don't think so. I don't think so. Like, why? I'm like, it's this, the contagion factor of this is really bad. Now, thank God the deaths are way down. The death percentage is way down. We figured a few treatment plans out. It's, the hospitals aren't as booked up now. It's great. And 40% of the deaths that happened since the start, 77,000 deaths were um, in nursing homes. It's like, oh my God, like a significant amount of these deaths are nursing home people. So it's not as scary, but what it's going to do is make places like the NBA, the Met Opera, shut down services. And, and what, what do you think athletes and musicians are going to do? Uh, good luck. So we need this to end. Whether or not it's killing people at the rate we used to, it has to end or else they're not going to open up venues. So I have friends mm -hmm. who said, probably in six months we'll do shows. I'm like, shows? What, what do you mean by shows? And they're like, you know, shows the Troubadour. I'm like, with 10% of the audience and everyone wearing a mask and like I, I'm talking about when's it going to get back to normal, and my friends are like, oh, I don't know, soon. I'm like, Pro if we don't get this under control soon, I'm not trying to be too negative, but I'm thinking like three to five years, and that to me is like, oh my god, say that number, oh my god. Here's why: not 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 for you, not for most people. I'm talking about for people in my oh, industry. In my living room. Yeah, exactly. Audience. No, you're you're. I'm, what I'm saying is the 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 sold out arena sardine. You know, I'm hoping I'm wrong. In my living room, I can't do that. I'm not going to be doing that. Right, but so here's my yeah exactly. But my point is, it's it's not. I think we could get there in four months. Mathematically, we could, but we're so stupid. So it's like it's up to us. Do to people who are saying I want a live show. I'm like, cool. Then write your governor, write your senator, write the president, and say, can we just like knock this out? Or the vaccine will come, and then that'll be you know six to twelve months of whatever, and then uh, and then uh, it'll take you know twelve months to incubate. Like, and if it becomes a seasonal flu and it's just a little more lethal one, then that's another story. But this is why people were saying in February and January, this is bad because of the R factor, the R naught factor and all that stuff. It's like, so I don't know. I mean, I'm hopeful that I'm wrong about that, but I'm preparing for my life. I've always been preparing for a pandemic. I didn't know that, but I've always been someone who is just, I mean, ready for a rainy day and if, if a solution isn't working, I get up and fight the second it stops working. So that's why I started on Twitch. It's like, okay, so now people can subscribe to my channel. That's $6 or three of how you're doing. This. Yeah. No, so basically the way Twitch works is people can view everything for free. 
You know, I might do some subscriber only streams, but uh, if you want to support the channel, you donate $6 every month. It's a subscription. And then Mm -hmm. if you like what you're hearing, you can donate whatever you want to the channel, or you can say, Hey, I want Zane to learn a song live. So, so I want him to pull up his iPad, show me the process and learn any song I want. I'll pay him 75 bucks. And so I learn the song and I sing it for them live. Uh, I'll mm-hmm. do improvised musicals. I'll do comedic musicals with suggestions once I hit a certain sub goal. So I do all this stuff. And my goal is to make this, make enough money to pay for my life until this nightmare ends. So that's my way of getting through this. I know a lot of musicians who are taking pandemic unemployment assist, assurance, assistance and hoping gigs open up soon. And I'm going, if people continue to be as selfish and and the government continues to be as incongruent as they are, I see the worst case scenario of this being three to five years before I can play a show where I get paid the amount I used to get paid. Cause I'm not going to get paid the amount I used to get paid if there's 10 people in the audience. Right. So I have to make a living. Cool. Twitch. So Twitch allows me to hopefully provide a service and create five to seven days a week. People pay money because they're basically buying a, sh- a ticket to a show in their own unique way. What's the difference between the free and the $6 subscription? What are they getting? Okay. So there's really no difference. So the, the only difference is that someone when you subscribe to the channel, you get access to emotes. So you have special emotes that have my face in them. Uh, <laughs> two, you, you, the people who subscribe also realize I, I'm doing sometimes five streams a week, usually three to six hours long. So this is like hundreds of hours of content each month. I think if you did them or over hundred hours of content and most people go, I'll pay six bucks for that. You know, it's like, sure. Now here's the crazy part. If someone has an Amazon prime account, they can subscribe for free. It's called the prime sub. You just, click it. And then it gives me three bucks and then everyone's happy because I get half of it. Yeah. So you can do that. And then also the donations. Um, the, the reason people donate is because they get bonuses. So if someone donates 10 bucks, I'll play whatever song of mine. I know a, an original or a cover and I'll play it right then. If they donate uh, $5 or more, it, it, it reads an alert uh, on screen, like whatever they type in, it reads, which makes everyone laugh. And then they donate. If they donate, uh, I think I'm going to start doing a, a joke donation, $500 for Freebird. I'm sure someone will come in and do it. I want Freebird. You know, 200 bucks for Wonderwall, 500 bucks for Freebird. Uh, so, and and then also it turns into uh, sponsorships. So I'm part of the Blue Crew on Twitch. They're about 30 of us. So okay. I'm the XLR kind of ambassador. Most people use USB mics uh, and some have like one vocal mic XLR. Yeah. I have six blue mics, a Kiwi, I have a, a mouse for my acoustic slash, you know, when I have friends on that are in my bubble, I have a bottle, which is their, their premier mic, a dragonfly, an encore, a baby bottle. So I'm decked out in blue gear because each time I stream, I get between 500 to 4,000 people over the duration of the stream having watched it. And then more people watch it after. Right. So it's, they're branding. So it eventually hopefully will turn into sponsorship deals. And yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do a music theory of gaming, which is another thing that's unique to my channel. And I'll do a music theory of gaming episode on a brand new game that's coming out and the, the company pays me whatever it pays me. So I, I'm trying to be active here and be like, all right, I, I got to make sure I, I keep this studio, keep my house in case music is screwed uh, financially, at least for another couple of years. So, and, and also while I'm doing all this, Vicky, I'm, I'm getting my jazz record mixed and mastered. It's done now. We're okay. shopping that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be working in the next week on my solo record live on Twitch. They'll see me record my process. So 
I'm, I'm really trying here. I'm trying to be positive and say, you know what? This is not something I'm going to cry about and sulk about. This is a new opportunity. And I love technology. And let's have some fun. I like hanging out with people. So we're hanging out on stream and we're having a great time. And so what kind of what kind of people are on in the Twitch audience? Who are the people out there? Oh, well, I'll shout out some right now. Oh, I love that you changed your name. Jim Adler changed his name to Rubber Soul, the best oh. Beatles album. Fight me on it. No, actually, Abbey Road, maybe. But I love Rubber Soul. Your footsteps. Yeah, yeah. So we have, you know, we have a bunch of friends on here. We have Adrian, who's a homie who loves live learns. She's a big part of our community. Um, and she she's gave me some of the hardest live learns, like 16 minute songs, and I'm just charting out these crazy things. Wow. Um, we have Chaos Dragon, who's one of my mods, who helps, you know, me with tech stuff and is everyone's supportive because everyone wants this stream to grow and become a big, big thing. So everyone's kind of a part of it. As part of it, we have a thing called a Discord. So you can get invited into our Discord community. It's just like Facebook, but it's private. So our Discord server is just insular, just us. And so that's grown to about 600 people so far. And so it's growing into a nice community. Um, and uh, yeah, I do other stuff too. I Oh, you were saying who are the people? It's basically people from all over the world that either love music, they love uh, maybe camera quality and lighting that I try to provide. They might love guitar. They might love learning music, educational stuff. Some of them love gaming and I, I'm actually a pretty intense gamer. So there's kind of a little something for everyone. It's crazy. I know the future. I'm assuming that the audience leans young. Maybe guys, what's your age? What's your age? Everyone. I'm thinking, I'm just thinking, how did people go over to Twitch? Was it, did did people like you attract people to Twitch? Because oh, I see. Are you sort of wondering how did they find me? Like, what's the story oh, here? How did people find Twitch? Because Twitch is, right. you know, what what made you go to Twitch? Great question. Okay, so I went to Twitch because we had a lot of youngins. Yeah, 55, 19, 30, 26, 19, 13 and a half. Really jukebox? Fantastic. Wow. 31. Kind of 30 seems to be the average median, but um, Twitch is a gaming platform. So mm -hmm. it started as justin.tv in 2013 or 12 or something. Um, and all it was was gamers just streaming games so you could watch someone play through a game, which is a very fun experience as an avid gamer. It's fun to watch someone play through. Yeah. And then uh, I got into Twitch because my friend is a very famous Twitch streamer called Ryukar. He's a, a Mario Maker streamer. And the pandemic started and I started thinking how I can do live stream concerts. By the way, I'm still, I'm already thinking about how to do proper live stream concerts, not on Twitch. So $10, $15, donate whatever you want to watch a live show. And that'll probably start in the next few weeks. I'll just be promoting that. Where are you going to do the, are you going to Those will be through Veeps. So Veeps is like a private ticketing service that I've used before for VIP uh, packages at my live shows. So they do streaming packages as well. So I'll probably do it through them. Um, and, uh, but yeah, uh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, Twitch. Yeah. So Twitch is sort of like sitting on the couch with your friend watching a game. I found out about Ryukar. I watched his stream and then I noticed there were music streamers. And I thought, well, if we can't leave the house, I don't know if I can go another couple of days without playing a concert because I'm used to playing five shows a week on tour. Right. So pop, pop, pop. I bought a camera. I invested uh, probably, two, probably a, a, a dumb amount in the camera quality and all this, but I figured it would set me apart. It and looks, so far it has. It looks fantastic. Thank you. Well, it makes people feel like they're here with me, which is why I care about. It's you know? fantastic. 
Okay, so I have two requests before we go. So I, I definitely want you to play I Love You, but I yes. also, I promised Mr. Walden that you would play Crimey River. And yes. I, I, I have to tell you, I must have listened to seven different versions last night. Yeah. Every time I listened to a version, I said, oh, this is my favorite. Oh, this uh -huh. is my favorite. You uh -huh. have recrafted that song. First of all, you've made it your own every time. Mm -hmm. You've made it your own over and over and over again. Thank and you. Just genius. Thank you so much. Well, I will say one reason I love doing the Twitch stuff, a lot of music streamers on Twitch do kind of, they're kind of cover artists, kind of buskers. Like I'll, mm -hmm. they just have their guitar and they wait for someone to donate money and then they play that song. And that may kind of end up being where I go purely because I don't have an ego about it. I'll do whatever I can to make a living until the world opens up again for us musicians. Um, but, uh, what I like doing is uh, I've done a lot of residencies with Carney, well, revolving mm -hmm. band, then Carney. Carney did a residency at Troubadour, a weekly residency. That was like kind of, I think that was kind of unheard of back then, but we sold out. I think H it was like we were residency type band. We did El Rey. I did uh, uh, Rockwood Music Hall in New York for a few months. I did Hotel Cafe for six months every Monday. And the reason why my residency shows, I, I think I was lucky to have them sell out each week versus like, you know, they get smaller and smaller is because I never play the same, the song, a song the same way twice. One, I'm capable of it, I guess, but it's not as fun for me. But two, I'm a jazz musician who's pretending to do popular art forms. So jazz musicians, we, we that's what we do. We improvise every everything we do. So it's cool that you notice the differences in Crimey River. Some people have taken private lessons with me, which is another way I'm staying afloat right now is doing a lot of private lessons. Everybody out there, how can they do that? Yeah. Yeah, so you just go to zanecarney.com, and if you're feeling fun, we can do the lesson live on stream. So just like you and I, Vicky, you're having this interview, and you're up here in the camera, uh -huh. I've done guitar lessons private, and the chat can watch us learn together, and help. hopefully I can help them navigate roadblocks yeah. they have, whether it's theory lesson or a songwriting lesson or a guitar lesson. Um, so what I've done in guitar lessons is, you know, someone will come in and say, man, I want to learn that Dear Marie guitar solo you did with John Mayer. And I'm like, what? which one they're like, you know, the solo you did. I'm like, I, I mean, I, we, I, every night we did it and I don't think I ever did it the same way. Like, Oh, the one on the David Letterman show. I'm like, Oh, right. That makes sense. Cause most people saw that one, but uh, someone might say, I want to learn that the crimey river, the way you do it. I'm like, well, I don't really do it the same way twice, but we can talk about the concepts. Like once we know the architecture of how a two, five, one works, then we realize that a two, five, one's goal is to, it's kind of to go home, kind of. So if it's to go home, then there are a lot of ways to get home. I can do this. I can go. 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 <laughs> that's a very Christmas song. Uh, that's like that, that Christmas song. The world's ruined. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. You know, so you start learning all these turnarounds, and then it's like, oh, I got like a hundred million options. So when I do Cry Me a River, I never know what turnarounds gonna come up until the melody comes out, and I'm inspired by the moment, and then we go there. So that's cool that you notice that, Vicky. Long way, long winded way of saying that. And and I I actually think I liked the jazz version I heard the best. Which was, mm. I, I actually, wait, I, I might have had it bookmarked here. Oh, I don't know if I had it bookmarked. Um, mm. There was one version that the last one I listened to was very jazz inspired. And yeah. 
there was one that you did with no shirt on in your like your house. That there was the, the, the very produced one. what? Sounds about right. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you very, know me. There's the very produced one that's really gorgeous. Yeah. And then there's the one where you're just with no shirt and and, and then you know what it was? I think hmm. it was during one of your Twitch shows. It's the one that's what it is. It's the one that you have on your YouTube channel. Yes. That version is really jazzy and Yes. Yes. Love, you know, it every oh. I love I love all of them. But Thank you, um, Vicky. Well, I'm happy to do I love you into into a Crimea River. We're going to do that to, to, to take everybody out in joy and bliss. And uh, I love it. I love it. And I hope you guys enjoy this. Okay, let's see. So we'll go like this. Thank you so much for doing this thing. You know, I, I've been, when I met you at NAM a couple years ago, I was like, blah, blah, blah. I was right in your face and you were busy doing a million things and you were lovely and gracious. And, and but, you know, everything happens exactly when it's supposed to happen. So right. this is timing. I love it. I'm so I'm so glad we've done this, Vicky. And I'm gonna see if this compression setting's better for music. Okay. There we go. That should be a little more musical. All right. So this is an original song uh, called "I Love You," and uh, let's see if my voice can handle it because I didn't warm up, but I think it'll work. <laughs> Trolling 
so hard Being alone I won't lie I'm on my
to another song. That was unbelievable. It's, it's so nice to have an audience because normally it's just clapping on Twitch, but I get to actually hear someone respond. I'm giving you a standing. I'm standing. Oh my God. That Thank was, you. That was crazy. <laughs> bad, bad boy. Yeah, oh, you're the best. Thank you so much. Man, you know, it's funny. I just got this mic set up and I'm going to, I'm going to lower some of the low end on it and maybe still okay. turn some of the compression down for our final song. But you're getting, uh, you're getting all, everybody's just applauding their ass. Oh, I love it. You guys are the best. Thank you, y'all. Let me see if I can bring this compression down just a teeny bit more to be even more authentic. Um, that's a little better. Awesome. Well, what a treat. Guys, thank you for having me tonight on Game Changers. Oh. And uh, it's been a real pleasure. And I hope you guys enjoy this last song. It goes out to Snuffy Walden himself. I hope you enjoy this, Snuffy. Miss you, man. All right, check it out. Here's a, here's a Julie London classic written by Arthur Hamilton. Uh, it goes like this.
I cry. 
river over you. myself not be like screaming through the whole thing. You're the best. You are so crazy. You are oh. I, so now that's my favorite version. I think every yeah. time <laughs> I'll version. take it. You're the best, yeah. Vicky. Zane, you are so delight you know I, I I've heard it said of you, but I, I've learned it to be true for myself. As talented as you are, is as lovely and as wonderful as you are. Oh, man, you're the that's very sweet of you. This human being that you are, this artist that you are, this soul, you are the most soulful, heart-centered. But but you but your brain is crazy. You, you I'm a real mess, is what I am. Ask no. any partner I've been with. I'm a real nightmare. <laughs> you, you've got you've got you're the whole package. You're the whole fucking. Thank package. you. Oh man. Thank man. you. Now I now all I got to do is get them six packs abs, and then I'll finally have respect. I don't know. <laughs> then I'll get an Instagram endorsement. No. Um, you're the best. Uh, by the way, you're getting talked about in my chat. They're saying Vicky is, is is a fan of the rest of us. She loves us, and she and they're applauding you, and it's a whole thing. There's a love fest going on. Well, it's likewise over here, and I just I've loved. We've been we've been on for like two and a half hours, and it's that's how we roll, baby. And I'm gonna keep streaming after after we end this thing. Uh, I'm gonna keep streaming and, and hang out with my community a little bit. Uh, but uh, so what sweet. Are you able to send my people over there. And the problem is that I'm afraid if I put up a Twitch link, they're going to take totally. it down. Totally. So, so tell it's tell everybody how to do, how to find you there. Yeah. So if you guys wanted to, to join over here, it's it's free to join Twitch. It's just like any sort of social media platform, but it's more about uh, broadcasting. So it's all about watching content. So it's sort of like Facebook, but there's no real element of offline hanging. It's all in the moment, live, in the moment stuff. So all you'd have to do is go to twitch.tv slash Zane Carney. And if you create a quick account while you're over here, you can pop in the chat and say, hey, I can't, I'm coming from Vicky's stream, came from uh, Game Changers, and I'll definitely give you a shout out and say hi to you. Okay, so they don't need to join. Like last night, I was able to go over to oh, your- Oh, you could just watch. Yeah. Okay, and, but so if you wanted you, to engage, yeah. How can they find you right now? Right now, so uh, Instagram and my website are the best. So zanecarney.com is my website. No, or- I mean, you know, I, ha- I those links I can put up there, but if I give I your, so they want to go over to Twitch right now and join Got it. this. So my home address is 444. No, I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm just going to keep getting this wrong. Like 444, Lover's Lane. Come on down. No, I'm sorry. I understand the question finally. Third time's a charm. So just go to twitch.tv slash Zane Carney. And I'll be on for at least another hour or so hanging out. Might even do a live learn, which you guys can witness firsthand. It's pretty, pretty fun stuff, actually. So. Well, I hope I hope everybody here becomes a Zane Twitch fan as well. Oh, thanks, Vicky. You're uh, the no, sweetest. I, and yeah. uh, thank you so very much. I've just loved every second of it. My You're pleasure. So- Please send my love to Snuffy, and I'll be texting him after after I get off stream. Absolutely, will do. Thank All you, right, so- Vicky. I'll see thank you, you. Uh, next in the world someday. You'll see me on your Twitch. I'll I'll be okay. typing into your Twitch. Pop on in, and I'll be watching Game Changers. See you guys later. Thank you, Vicky. Take care. Bye-bye. Tomorrow.